become a patron of Entertainment Landfill. Go to patreon.com slash landfill for details. Entertainment Landfill is made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Thank you. Ah yes, another week, another Friday, it sounds like it might be time for some film, television and pop culture news. So you might as well stick around, what else do you have to do? Exciting episode of Entertainment Landfill News. I am your host, Zegestrom. Oh, oh, oh. Am I being offensive there? I don't know. I have to ask uh, Jean-Michel. <laughs> Jean-Francois. Jean-Francois. I don't do the show alone, though. I do it with Stephen the Pop Culture Zealot. Hello, Stephen. What's happening? How are you doing today? Fantastic. Hey, we're... We're here in the Entertainment Landfill Pipeline, and it's just flowing with entertainment news. But we also have Baby the Barking Beagle. Let's see how much she barks in the background in the show. What the hell is a goddamn dog barking at? Hey, shut up, you worthless piece of shit. Hey, that's my dog. He can't talk about my dog like that. He did. What a jerk. I thought you were going to tell the kid to get rid of that fucking mutt. Hey, don't call me kid. God, Xander Berkeley from T2, what a dick! But seriously, Stephen, how's it going? You having a good week? Yes. Good week. All right, good to know, good to know. (laughs) Anything special happen? Oh, sorry about that, that's baby. No, just work. Just working? What state are you in this week? I'm in Denver, Colorado. Ah. Hello, Frisco. Are you still no <laughs> Are you still at the uh the uh, Overlook Hotel? I'm I'm close. I'm not too far, about 30 mm, odd miles. You know that music I'm doing from the <laughs> opening uh you know uh, Stanley Kubrick he always used classical music in his movies. Yeah. He didn't actually use I don't know if all of them, but 
Uh, he used classical music. He never had like a composer. He probably did. I'm just speaking very generally right. and being ignorant, just assuming every single one of his movies, he did that. He had a music supervisor cho- help him choose the music. Yeah, I have a feeling like... Uh, but mostly it was probably classical, maybe. It's kind of like this day and age when... Uh, People, directors are putting together a film. They put together a temp track with right. music that's already written from other movies. And I watched this video on YouTube a while back where a guy was saying the problem with soundtracks these days and composers is uh, the director has a preconceived notion of what he wants the music to sound like. So he goes, make it sound like this. And so uh, they're like, oh, okay, well. And they make it sound like that, but they don't actually write music that they would have done on their own they would do yeah so i i almost wonder if stanley kubrick just listened to a lot of classic music as he was uh editing his films and watching maybe when he was uh going over the script Mm -hmm. thinking oh this would be a great piece of music to fit this scene yeah, I maybe would like he's to, playing it as he's reading or something. I'd like to know more about that. Or I'd like was. to investigate some of that. Uh, gotta love Stanley Kubrick there. Um, I do think that in you know this is something that my dad and I talk about a lot of how music isn't. I mean, it could be so much better. Like for instance, Logan. I thought it was a fantastic film. I loved it. The score was very weak. I thought. Uh, let me ask you this. Whenever, you Is know, it memorable? No, no, it's not memorable at all. And I was almost thinking of that final sequence in Logan, as all the bad guys are there, and Logan, you know, he's pumps that stuff in. He's going to re- save the kids, and it's what if some music swelled right there, and right. like, oh, then you know, he's fighting the guys. You know, the girl leaps off of his back. She's fighting too. What if some powerful music there just really grabbed us and some theme that played throughout, like maybe whenever Logan is with the girl, swells there. And, you know, I could just picture it like it would have been so emotional. But this day and age, music, it doesn't... They've sanitized music too It's much just sounds. It's just sounds, yeah. you know? And I almost think, like, music it's today... It's kind of cookie cutter for music or whatever. I've been playing Horizon Zero Dawn, and I'm almost done with it. I'm finally almost finished with it. And I'm humming the music when I'm not playing the game. The music is memorable to me. Uh, and I was thinking, like, almost like The Last of Us, that game uh, on the PS4, you know, Last of Us by Naughty Dog. That had a memorable score that I can recall the theme music to. I can't recall the theme music to Logan. I may think of the Johnny Cash hurt from the trailer, but it's not even in the movie. I mean, the when a man comes around is well, on I the think, end credits. I watched that it. little this YouTube video. I think you posted it about that, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and it's like, okay, Jaws, dun, 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 dun. you know, you yeah. know that music. Okay, Star Wars, you know Star Wars music. Yeah, exactly. X Men. X Men, yeah. I get. I can think Avengers. of maybe the, a, the first X Men uh, theme by Michael Kamen, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, uh, so he can't make new music. <laughs> but you know, there's some composers out there that they they can do memorable music. The problem is a lot of times that's not what the director wants. You know, so I don't know. I, I just kind of went on a tangent there, Stephen. Yes, that's fine. That's the way I feel about things. <laughs> About movie music. I was just, you know, 
I really love the music in Horizon, especially, you know, it, it has that dun 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 when you're fighting and stuff. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. It gets the blood pumping, but it's got that na 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 na. <laughs> you know, it's got that beautiful, it's got a beautiful melody. It's got a theme, actually. There's nothing wrong with n- having melody in your soundtracks anymore. And I wish people would do it more. I mean, for instance, I like the score pretty much in Kong Skull Island, but I don't remember any of it now. Maybe if I saw it multiple times, but yeah, I need something to be more memorable. Baby is still out there barking. What the hell is a goddamn dog barking at? Hey! Shut up, you worthless piece of shit! Hey, I, I, I warned you, Xander Berkeley. Stop yelling at my dog. Can you believe that guy? I mean, it is kind of cool that my neighbor is Xander Berkeley, but... Uh, I thought you were going to tell the kid to get rid of that fucking mutt. I don't know who he's talking about. Oh, it's his foster kid, John Connor, over there. So, <laughs> Steven... <laughs> Uh, we'll talk more about movies that have come out, but what do you say we get into some entertainment news? Certainly. And Stephen, I've got a shiny new entertainment news bumper here. Let's check it out. Let's do entertainment news. All right, this is what you've been waiting for. Some entertainment news. God help us. Exactly. Thank you so much, TRS-80. Our handy computer with uh, barely any RAM still manages to uh, get us through the shows. Now, we have some Arnold Schwarzenegger news, Stephen. Nice. Um, What'd you do, Mom? No, 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 not Arnold Jackson. Arnold Schwarzenegger. By the way, did you ever watch any of that... Uh, Celebrity Apprentice, where he was the host? No. He was the new guy? Neither did I. I never gave it a chance. Why do you cry? Oh, I cry because I'm sad. But anyway, Arnold Schwarzenegger is hoping to film Triplets, the sequel to Twins, this year. He says it's going to be terrific. This comes to you from Entertainment Weekly. Wednesday, we revealed Arnold Schwarzenegger will only appear in The Expendables 4 if Sylvester Stallone is involved in the project, and then he still won't take part unless his character has been more developed than it was in the previous entry. But when the Terminator star spoke to your writer earlier this week, he was far more positive about the prospect of filming Triplets, the long-in-the-works sequel to the 1988 comedy Twins! Hey! Um, Arnold, um, by the way, Stephen, fan of, uh, that? Hopefully there's as many, uh, continuity, continuity errors as there was in that <laughs> one, in this new one. I ate green berets for breakfast. And right now I'm very hungry. Okay. Uh, he says, we are now just working on triplets. That is on top of the list for me because I've been trying to do that for 20 years. Ivan Reitman believes in it. Danny DeVito believes in it. He's who is also, by the way, always believed in it. And Eddie Murphy believes in it. It's going to be terrific. So we're looking forward to the, Wait, whoa, what? Eddie Murphy? So Eddie Murphy is their other twin? Yes. Oh. No, he's not, he's not the other twin. He's the other triplet. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. He, uh, I got a... He's a triplet. He's a triplet. What do you know from funny, you bastard? No, Okay. Uh, well, that's not the end of the Arnold uh, story, Stephen. Arch- Arnold Schwarzenegger says he turned down the Predator script. 
That's right, the new Predator script being directed by Shane Black. As the endless procession of Terminator movies have shown, former California governor isn't shy about sequels, reboots, the like. It certainly didn't seem out of the question to imagine Schwarzenegger might pop up in Shane Black's franchise Refresh refresh The Predator. Stephen, we love The Predator, am I right? Oh my God, will that dog shut up? According to the original motion picture star attraction, he was game to return, but he wasn't interested in that film, what the film had for him. Okay, trips on pile of Jing all the way tapes while while getting to the next paragraph. Oh, there. This is from Uproxx, by the way. I think they're being funny. Speaking with Yahoo Movie, Schwarzenegger shared that he had been offered a spot in the new movie. Said spot was clearly not Schwarzenegger's cup of tea. He's open to a changed script, though. They asked me. I read it, and I didn't like it. Whatever they offered. So I'm not going to do that, no. Except if there's a chance that they rewrite it or make it a more significant role. By the way it is now, I won't do that. The writing critique is something worth unpacking, or at least having an extended ramble about when drinking. Shane Black, who what? Shane Black, who appeared in the first <laughs> movie strictly as an actor, has a number of excellent credits under his belt, like Lethal Weapon, Iron Man 3, The Nice Guys, under his filmmaking belt. As for the film, Black wrote that Schwarzenegger starred in The Last Action Hero, a.k.a. Magic Ticket My Ass McBain. Who who wrote this? Cause That's what I'm going to. Is this written that poorly? Or? <laughs> Dan McRae. Okay. Okay, Dan. He's putting some, his personality in the story, Steve. Attempting to. Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger. Okay, be careful, Jason. Schwarzenegger appearing in The Predator seems unlikely, but your best... But you bet your sweet effing ass he's getting ready for triplets. And I already covered that story. All right, Steven. This gets my first bomb of the evening. Am I right? Bad story? Yeah. Bad writing. Not really a terrible story. Yeah. But the writing was just atrocious. Then I saw this story before the show. And this is the kind of shit that just gets on my nerves. These stories, Steven. (sighs) Okay. Game of Thrones, you know. It's a lot like The Walking Dead, whereas they do stories about anything significant, insignificant about the show, right? right. Uh, HBO promos may reveal new character looks for Game of Thrones Season 7. This comes to you from IGN, and I'm, I'm reading this. HBO has released a trio of new promos that feature a number of cast members from Game of Thrones, sporting what could be their new look. For season seven. So they're going to be wearing new clothes, I guess. They went shopping before. Mm -hmm. We put together a gallery with images of each character featured in the promos. Give it a look below to see Peter Dinklage as Tyrion Lannister, Amelia Clark as Daenerys Targaryen, and Kit Harington as Jon Snow, and many more. It's important to note that while one of the characters featured in these promos is no longer alive, this doesn't necessarily mean they'll make a return in season, season 7. So basically what you're saying right there is... This these are wardrobe tryouts, and you don't know yeah, wh- if it was from four seasons ago or upcoming seasons. They made me click on it. Uh, that gets a double bomb, Steven. Just so you know, I'm working my way up. If we hit the number four bomb, you're not going to want to hear what it is. It is (laughs) catastrophic. 
All right. Well, Stephen, last week I meant to talk about this, but we forgot. Uh, or I forgot. I take uh, credit for that. The It trailer came out, you right. know, based on the Stephen King novel. Uh, you've read the book. Yes. Long ago. Long ago. But I'm going to reread it here shortly. I'm almost done with Shawshank. Oh, you're going to reread it? Yes. Uh, what did you think of the book, by the way? Is it a good book? One yeah. of Stephen King's best? Um, no, I, I wouldn't say one of his best. It wasn't a bad story. Is it scary? No. It's I don't not think scary? so. Do you believe... Not to me. I mean, it, other people may find it scary. Do you believe that uh, it, there Pet, are... Pet Cemetery was the creepiest one I've read. Oh, yeah? Are there references to the Dark Tower in it? I don't know because I didn't read you the read Dark it Tower. A long time ago. I read it before the Dark Tower, so as I'm reading now, I'm noticing references. Like, because uh, like even on in the Shawshank, I just read something today. It's like new prisoners get on the beam. You know, it's like, oh, is this is this a reference in my head? You know, uh, trying to compare things to seeing when he started thinking about that, right? Oh, Adam Sexton just sent a voicemail. After the show already began, Adam. Boo. Am I right, Stephen? <laughs> Adam. <laughs> just giving Adam a hard time there. He's a good dude. Yeah. Thank you for the voicemail, Adam. We'll play that later. So, okay, here's the It trailer. Let's check it out. Let's see if it's scary. Ooh. Are you going to hear baby barking throughout there the whole thing? Maybe. She's already captain. Thanks, Billy. Little kid chasing his little boat. Georgie. Oh! That's kind of smart. So his little uh, boat goes in the sewer, right, Stephen? Yeah. Come on, scare me, trailer. Ah! Oh, okay, that's scary, Steven. That's a scary clown. Clown will eat me. Dare's not like any time I've ever been in before. People die or disappear six times the national average. And that's just grown-ups. Kids are worse. Way, way worse. Awesome. Are you getting scared, Steven? Clown. Scared yes. clown. The film looks gorgeous. Look. It's all connected. Was this part in the book right here? It's where it lives. Do you remember? Watching slides. No, I don't remember this. <laughs> Bill, if you'll come with me, you'll float too. Huh? You'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float too. 
What does it all mean, Steven? It's it. If you should die before you wake. <laughs> Warner Brothers released the first trailer for its adaptation of It today. I think this is a much creepier clown than Tim Curry's It from the TV adaptation. Yeah. I mean, I originally, he looks good in the movie. The screenshots, like, check out this new terrifying picture of Pennywise. And I looked at it, and I go, ooh, scary clown. But in the movie, it looks effective, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, the Pennywise, the Tim Curry Pennywise never looked effective to me. I was like, man, that's so scary. So people are celebrating. There's a moment where the kids are watching... Uh, slides a slide projector mm-hmm. and the scene in question takes place near the end of the trailer when a, ki- a group of kids are gathered in an attic watching home movies at some point the projector encounters a glitch and as the video continues the terrifying clown who haunts the town pennywise appears on the screen in the original book bill and richie are looking at georgie's old photo album and the same ordeal occurs but the change is being seen as a positive thing by most fans I like the change one person wrote on Reddit. Oh, one person wrote on Reddit. What? More interactive, more visual. 90s version was cheesy with a book, and I don't think it'd look good here either. It's fine for a book, but on screen, nah. Others on Twitter noted that the projector scene was a takeaway moment, even though the scarier scene is unquestionably the last one when Georgie is laughing and Pennywise darts across the room. Wow. So people like that. The response to the trailer has been overwhelmingly positive, which is rare in an era when people pick apart teasers for various reasons. Who? Me? Nah, I would never pick something <laughs> apart. Well, there are a few people who likely would have found the trailer more funny than they do scary. The majority of people talking about it have said it recalls a sense of fearful nostalgia from the first time they read the book. Perhaps most importantly, the trailer and the movie in general got the thumbs up from King himself. Andy Muschietti's remake of It, actually it's part one, The Losers Club, succeeds beyond my expectations. Relax, wait, and enjoy. It is directed by Andres Muschietti, I don't know how to say his name, whose most horror aficionados will know as the man behind the 2013 film Mama. The movie is scheduled to be released September 8th. Wow, that's a new thing now where people say, Stephen King, he he gives it a good review, but he likes everything except <laughs> The Shining, am I right? Um, Yeah, I think. Well, no, he kind of knows that uh, Maximum Overdrive was crap. <laughs> now, Stephen, he said he was shooting that while he was on a lot of coke. <laughs> wow. I'm going to do something that I don't usually do during the show. I'm going to set my headset down. I'm going to get up. And I'm going to get my dog in the house because I can't take it anymore. Her endless barking. Okay? What the hell is a goddamn dog barking at? Hey! Shut up, you worthless piece of shit! Daddy's trying to do his show! All right, much better. When I was gone, did Xander Berkeley say anything to me? He did. He said, uh, thought you were getting rid of that damn dog or something. I thought you were going to tell the kid to get rid of that fucking mutt. Oh, Xander Berkeley! All right, the dog is inside. Now, continuing with It, real-life clowns are upset over the It trailer. That's right, Stephen. This coming from DarkHorizons.com. 
One complaint about the recent trailer for the film adaptation of Stephen King's iconic novel, It, is that the new Pennywise looks unapproachable. The friendly and enticing to kids element of the clown is gone in favor of an outright monster. The trouble is, thanks in no small part to the original 1990s miniseries adaptation, along with Poltergeist and the likes of real-life serial killer John Wayne Gacy, a whole generation of people have grown up with many averse to and sometimes terrified of clowns. Well, yeah. Well, also, don't forget about the wave of phony clown sightings that happened, you know. Creepy clown. Yes, Mel Magazine recently interviewed several real-life clowns after the news of the It trailer had become the most viewed trailer over the first day. Over ever, ever in its... Okay, f- first of all, I'm sick of seeing, like, most viewed trailer on YouTube. Who gives a shit, all right? Turns out the clowns are not happy with the film taking its toll on their business. In fact, they see this as just more proof of an anti-clown sentiment in the United States, and the growing fear and hatred of clowns is largely perpetuated by the media. I'll take a, a, a stab at, uh, like, a Seinfeldism, an a anti-clownite. <laughs> <laughs> Can't sleep. Clown will eat me. Can't sleep. Clown will eat me. Okay, professional clown Nick Kane says, Oh, Nick the Clown? Is that a good... Nick the Clown. We just experienced a nice break from the scary clown meme from last October. And just when things are starting to normalize, the It trailer comes and it's like, oh, here we go again. I was trying to do a horn sound. Funny horn. As he falls off his unicycle. Being in Your worst nightmare, butthorn. <laughs> That's not the horn I was looking for. It is currently slated for a September release, Stephen. I feel bad for these clowns. I think you, it's time for you to put out your movie, Clown Town. I should. You need to bring clowns back into happiness. I don't know. Well, go on home. Really Who happy. needs you talentless clowns anyway? Get out of here. What's that, Sam? Is it particularly a happy story? Yeah, you can make it happen. Well, you can turn them into real people, not these scary apparitions that stand in the woods ready well, to it, kill you. It is more Ameri- uh, uh, more. Uh, uh, I don't want to say anthropomorphizing clowns because they are people, <laughs> but uh, more humanizing to people. Do you clowns. remember? Um, well, I mean, the thing is, in it Pennywise, you know, he's a scary he's clown. He's not really but a clown. He's not a clown. You no, know, he's a and demon or a monster they, or whatever you want to call they'll it. They'll reveal that eventually. Yeah, but he's not actually a clown. Sure, he's a scary looking clown, but. They're going to, you know... You don't really know what it is. It represents itself as a clown, as a spider, as whatever. Yeah, it's whatever you're... What are you afraid of, as the trailer says. What? What was that? Did you hear that? What? No? I didn't hear it. Okay. So, Stephen, story on IGN. See Henry Cavill wearing Christopher Reeve's Superman costume. It was worn while testing for his role in Man of Steel. Oh, that's kind of a while ago there, IGN. A photo of Henry Cavill wearing Christopher Reeves' iconic Superman costume has been revealed by the director, Zack Snyder. Cavill wore the outfit when testing for the role of Superman in Man of Steel, and Snyder shared a photo from that test on Vero via the Hollywood... What the hell is Vero? 
First test with Henry, I knew right away he was my Superman. Cinder, look, they spelled Snyder. Cinder said in a message accompanying <laughs> the photo, the actual Superman costume worn by Reeve in the classic 1978 DC film went up for auction in 2015 with a starting price of $50,000. Who asked? I don't care. In addition to starring as Superman in both Man of Steel and Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, Cavill re- re- reportedly reprised his role in Zack Snyder's next DC film, Justice League, which was a shot up. Steven, he, this photo is from Man of Steel. Do you know how long ago that was? A while back. I clicked on this. Do you think I feel foolish clicking yeah, on that? I think you do. Uh. Oh, hell yeah. That was carpet bond. Am I right? Yeah. Now, Steven, the fifth element is heading back to theaters with a Valerian preview. You know, Valerian is the new film by Luc Besson. Oh, sorry. Uh, I love this first line in this Entertainment Weekly article. Break out your multipass. Multipass. Because the fifth element is returning to the big screen. That's right, Stephen. EW can exclusively reveal that Luc Besson's riotous 23rd century caper, what the F are you talking about, will mark its 20th anniversary next month with a two-day... You're day... excited. You know it. <laughs> with a two-day theatrical re-release presented by Fathom Events and Sony Pictures, the screening will showcase a 4K restoration of the fifth element and an exclusive... Bug, and an exclusive bug, an exclusive bug, uh, uh, (laughs) an exclusive preview of Bassan's new space opera Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, which opens in July. The screenings are set for Sunday, May fourteenth. Mark your calendar, Stephen, and Wednesday, May seventeenth, at two p.m. and seven p.m. local time. Originally released in nineteen ninety-seven, the Fifth Element stars Bruce Willis as a gruff cab driver and an ex-soldier who teams up with an enigmatic orange-haired humanoid played by Mila Jojovich to save Earth from annihilation. The cast also includes Gary Oldman, Chris Tucker, and Ian Holm. Oh, don't you love how they? Uh, who should we take to the movie with us to go see that? Everyone! All right. With its campy tone, striking production design, partly created by comics artist Jean Mobius Gerard and Jean-Claude Mézirig, and imaginative costumes by Jean-Paul Gaultier, the film, Fifth Element has gained a cult following over the past two decades. You know, I pride myself on being able to say these tough names. Pretty good. We, we need to get uh, Jean-Francois to do this for us. <laughs> Valerian, meanwhile, <laughs> looks as though it could be a sp- its spiritual successor. Tickets are available at FathomEvents.com. Oh, good. I'm so happy that uh, stuff is there. Smoke you! Smoke you! <laughs> All right, Stephen, you ready for another trailer? Yes, please. All right, The Mummy Awakens in a new trailer for Universal's monster movie. Oh, man, I can't they wait. never wake the mummy. Ah! Oh, my God. Tom Cruise is pretty scared about this. So let's check out the trailer. Let's watch this. Okay. There's lots of shit blowing by. They'll be sand. Whoa. Yeah, they'll be sand. I hate sand. Whoa, the beginning of this trailer looks like Uncharted the movie or something. Okay, there's Tom Cruise. 
Huh? Uh oh. Whatever's in there. Oh, no. It's been safely hidden for 2,000 years. This isn't a tomb. It's a prison. Nick! The hieroglyph said she I was named I see a mummy and I want to be queen. But her thirst for power led her down a darker path. One that had to be stopped. Because of your actions, this ancient power has returned. You are alive. What's with the use of Rolling because Stones, Stephen? Chosen. By what? Evil. By a mummy. Arnold Bosley. No, he's not in this. The ultimate evil. No, rats! Legend has it she's a being of unimaginable powers. Now, Legend has it she's a mummy. To regain them. <laughs> oh, my God. She will not stop until she has remade our world. See, they, only, they make movie music memorable by making turning a pop song or uh, not rock song or whatever. They've got to make it memorable that way since music doesn't exist to do it. Stay with me. I'm scared. Is she going to okay? figure this out. Don't leave me. You can't run. You can't escape. She's got plans for you. You cannot escape this movie. The Rolling Stones want too much money for this music. We're just putting it in the trailer. Do they have to pay for the trailer music? Yes. Okay. But to do it in the movie... They have to get a cut of the movie or whatever, soundtrack money. The first Mummy trailer garnered quite a bit of attention at Universal, accidentally released it without sound. The flubbed video made its way around Tumblr, Twitter, and YouTube for close to a week before Universal finally took it down. (laughs) The new trailer not only has sound effects, but it also has a female mummy. The new trailer provides the best look yet at the reimagined monster. The mummy is played by Sofia Butella who will star opposite Tom Cruise. Cruise is taking on the role of esteemed archaeologist Nick Morton. Wait, wasn't there a Nick? Nick the Clown? the Clown, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nick the Clown? Nick the Clown? Esteemed Nick. archaeologist slash clown Nick Morton, who's forced, off at it. <laughs> who's forced into the mummy capturing and killing trade. Oh, Oh, wait, a clown who mummy captures. I like this. The movie's right in itself. Clown mummies. <laughs> After she's awakened from her sleep. The mummy is supposed to be the first movie in the Universal Monsters shared universe and will be followed by reboots of The Invisible Man, Frankenstein, and The Wolfman, among others. The mummy will be released June 9th. I barely got that out. Did you catch that? It will be released. <laughs> June 9th. June 9th. 
Yes, exactly. Oh, man, that, that was a pretty exciting trailer there, Steven. Mm-hmm. What the hell? Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Hey, Adam Sexton is in the chat room. What's up, Adam? How's it going? Oh, wait, he can't hear me. No, wait, he can't hear me. Now, Steven, this is exciting news. Have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons in your life? No. When you were a kid or no. anything? Any no. role-playing? No. The dice, 20-sided dice or whatever? Never played them. Oh, well, you'll enjoy the story then. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Manganiello. You know who that is, right? Mm-hmm. Joe Manganiello. He has written a Dungeons and Dragons movie script. What? No, he hasn't. I can't believe that. That's right. Although a Dungeons and Dragons reboot has been in the works at Warner Brothers since at least 2013, Joe Manganiello isn't content to wait around for his turn at the dice. The Batman star, what? He's not in Batman. And uh, a vowed nerd is developing his own adaptation. Oh, Freaking bug on my monitor. <laughs> uh of the cult classic role-playing game with the hope that it will lead to a major franchise. Appearing on Josh Horowitz's Happy, Sad, Confused podcast. Oh, man, that's a good name. Why can't I come up with something like that? Minganella revealed he wrote a draft of Dungeons & Dragons with a playwright friend. And he held a creative summit with the game publisher Wizards of the Coast to hash it out. Where the film would go what it should look like, and what it should be. The actor reflected on how it's important for Dungeons & Dragons film to feature real human emotion. And dragons, of course. Aw, yeah! Dragons! Your mom dated a dragon. Okay. Obviously, there's a spectacle, Minganel said. There's dragons breathing fire and lightning. But what makes a great superhero fantasy movie is the human aspect. It's got to be about something. We root for those characters in Game of Thrones. Fellowship of the Ring was about friendship. This undying love for your friends that's something everyone can identify with. You're right, Joe Minganello. He's really got this down. When a movie is about something human and real emotionally, people are going to want to see it, he continued. Then you get some dragons breaking fire and people are like, Oh, hell yeah, I'm in. Am I right, Stephen? This is so exciting. So according to the Chinese astrology, you fall under the animal of the dragon. Oh, okay, thanks. Don't remember asking that. Mingy Lanello. <laughs> How many times am I going to say his name? While a timeline hasn't yet been set on account of it being pretty early in the development phase, the actor claims he is talking to all the right parties to make his dream a reality. You got to get Vin Diesel in there. I heard he loves Dungeons and Dragons. Minganella, who's attached to stars Deathstroke in Warner Brothers' The Deathstroke. What? When the hell did this happen? Provides the voice of Hefty Smurf in the animated Smurfs The Lost Village, which opens nationwide today. <laughs> oh, that's Smurfalicious, Steven. Is, is that he? how you say it? Smurftastic. Did you see the one where Papa Smurf took a crutch and smashed the shit out of a guy with a red hat? Did you see that one? You want to see that one? Okay. Well, Steven, Marvel's New Warriors comedy with Squirrel Girl lands at the Freeform channel. Do you know what channel that is on DirecTV? No. 311, I think. 
That's right. Squirrel Girl is officially coming to a television near you. Oh, man, this is exciting. Freeform has given a 10-episode straight-to-series order to Marvel's New Warriors, the first half-hour comedy for Mar... Whoa, 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 what? It's a sitcom? For Marvel Studios, which will put the spotlight on the aforementioned comic book heroine. Cougar Town creator Kevin Beagle is in talks to serve as showrunner of the comedy, which is expected to premiere in 2018. Now, Kevin Beagle, I loved his show called Enlisted. It was a short-lived sitcom on Fox, which was really funny. So maybe he could do something good with this. TV Line first reported back in August that Marvel and ABC Studios were shopping around New Warriors series. The show is said to revolve around six teenagers with powers and abilities on the opposite end of the spectrum of the Avengers who want to make a difference in the world, even if the world isn't ready. The series will follow their journey into adulthood, except in this world, they're not quite super and not yet heroes, and the guys can be seen as terrifying as bad dates. <laughs> oh, man. The character of Doreen Green, a.k.a. Squirrel Girl, is described as a natural leader who possesses the powers of a squirrel. Not only is she acrobatic, but she has the ability to talk to squirrels. Oh, okay, that's cool. She also has immense faith in people, which allows her to teach others how to better believe in themselves. Oh, you could be, you know, send home a lot of interesting messages <laughs> to the kids, couldn't you? New Warriors is the second Marvel series ordered at Freeform, joining the hour-long drama Marvel's Cloak and Dagger, which is also expected to debut next year. Oh, I'm sorry, that's debut, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvel's New Warriors have always been fan favorites, and now, particularly with the addition of Squirrel Girl, they are Marvel television favorites as well. Marvel Chief Chief Jeff Loeb said in a statement, After the amazing experience we've had with Freeform or Marvel's Cloak and Dagger, we can't think of a better place for our young heroes. (laughs) Oh, man, this sounds awesome, doesn't it? Steven? Yes. Squirtin'. (laughs) Yeah. Have you seen the Cloak and Dagger one? Is no, out? it hasn't come out yet. Okay. Just wondering, because he said, with the success of it, he's like, well, how is it successful other than <laughs> it got made? I think they mean the experience of making the pilot, maybe, or something like that. Now, Stephen, I don't know if you saw my scathing post in Entertainment Landfill Fan Club about the article, Ridley Scott wanted to kill Ripley. In the original Alien ending, that was from Entertainment Weekly, and then, cons- you know, I saw the original ending to Alien was far more terrifying and fatal than the one used, said Polygon. Ripley's fate in Alien was almost very different, said Nerdist.com. Ridley Scott nearly killed off Ripley in Alien, said DigitalSpy.com. <laughs> How Ridley Scott's original Alien ended would have ruined the franchise, said Inverse.com. Even Ripley didn't survive the original Alien ending, said CBR.com. Ridley Scott wanted to kill Ripley off in original Alien, says DreadCentral.com. Alien director reveals original ending, says HeraldSun.com, Australia. Alien Covenant boss Ridley Scott talks killing off Ripley as three new teasers, blah, 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 Inquisitor.com. Ridley Scott wanted Alien to end with Ripley brutally dying, says BloodyDisgusting.com. And then finally, Ridley Scott, Kiera K. Ripley, Muraria, and El Final de Alien from the uh, Espanola Gizmodo.com. Was that a good pronunciation? Yes. So, I'm going to read this article, but I was just like, 
please someone stop interviewing Ridley Scott. First he's telling you he's going to make five alien movies and now he's telling first of all he did an interview where he said oh actually we originally killed ripley what (gasps) oh gotta type in my story right the original ending to alien was far more terrifying and fatal than the one used oh my god steven i must know more alien covenant is just on the horizon as the director ridley scott starts promoting the film he's opened up about other movies in the alien franchise including the 1979 film that started it all (laughs) well tell me more story one of the biggest revelations scott has brought to attention is the original ending he wanted to go for with alien Scott told Entertainment Weekly he thought a more appropriate ending for the film would be to have Ripley die. Instead of having Ripley, played famously by Sigourney Weaver, emerge victorious after a ferocious battle with a xenomorph, she was supposed to try and fight the alien to no avail. I thought that the alien should come in and Ripley harpoons it and it makes no difference. So it slams through her mask and rips her head off, Scott said. Oh, okay. Ultimately, it's a good thing that Ripley was able to defeat the Xenomorph and move on with the series, but there's no question that an alien who can't be stopped is far more terrifying. (laughs) Scott said that the idea was shot down almost immediately by executive producers at Fox who said it was a terrible idea, and I agree with them, who weren't okay with the idea of the movie's main character dying in such a graphic manner. Ripley went on to appear in Aliens... Alien 3, which doesn't really exist, and Alien Resurrection, which also was never made. Weaver has said multiple times that she'd love to join the franchise again, but that's unlikely at this time. Covenant, which is the sequel to Prometheus, and the second installment in a new trilogy... Wait, the second installment in a new trilogy? I thought there was going to be five of them. Was it a quintology, or is that separate from this? Maybe it's separate. Okay, it takes place before the events of the original Alien, and therefore before Ripley's day, but... Oh, God, debut. How do I have so much tra- Maybe problems Maybe it's kind of like Star Wars. You got the trilogies. Or debut. Sets. Yes. Still, there is hope that Ripley could reappear. I don't want her to reappear. Why would she reappear? Scott has also recently stated that he wants to make another six alien movies. I thought there was going to be five. What? Six alien movies. And they won't all be set before the events of the first movie. Alien Covenant will be released on May 19th. Oh, my God. I can't. The stories just drive me nuts. I know this is what I've chosen to do. As my calling to read these entertainment <laughs> stories, but it just, there's one story after another, these stupid stories they had picked up by these entertainment sites, and I just get frenzied into a rage. It's time for bomb number four, Steven. No. Here we go, no. bomb number four! Artillery on us! 
I feel much better, Stephen. Okay, finally, have you heard about the Xbox? Xbox One, they have this secret project, Scorpio. Of course I wouldn't hear about it. It's secret. It's <laughs> Well, let me tell you about it. It's a high-powered console, Stephen. I'm thinking... I'm glad you're letting me in on the secret, though. Yes, PlayStation, 1, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 1, PlayStation 4 had the PlayStation Pro. Now, this is Microsoft's answer. Microsoft is prepping a revision of the Xbox One for later this year, and all signs signs point to it being more than a simple remodel. Xbox Scorpio, as it's currently known, is set to be an upgrade that improves upon the base hardware in every possible way. Microsoft says the system's running tech that will do more than directly compete with the similar PlayStation 4 Pro. It'll surpass it. Yeah. New details from Digital Foundry, Eurogamer's tech-focused arm, oh, a robot arm or something, suggested just how the company plans to make that happen. All right, I can't wait to read more of this uh, for you, Stephen. You're so pretty what excited. What is Xbox Scorpio? Coming revamped version of the Xbox One, Stephen, Scorpio will essentially take the base console and soup it up. Okay? Did I already read that? Whoa. As Microsoft first said last June at E3, the console will play games at a native 4K resolution. Ooh. It'll also have VR support right out of the box. To make this happen, the console comes with six teraflops of processing power. That's right, Stephen. Six teraflops. How cool is that? That's crazy. Six and it looks teraflops. like Gandhi's flip-flop. Uh, I don't think Gordon Ramsay's talking about the same thing. More than 320 gigabytes of memory bandwidth? Yes, Xbox One games will run on Scorpio, as will backward-compatible Xbox 360 games. We haven't seen any in action yet, much too many uh, Xbox One owners' dismay. Although Digital Foundry did have a glimpse at one title running on the system. Will there be Xbox Scorpio exclusive games? No. Microsoft said they're not allowed. See, they don't want to turn off Xbox One owners to have games that, oh, I can't play that, I need a Scorpio. They want it to all be compatible. Gotcha. So it's kind of like you have a souped-up PC you're playing it on. The company doesn't want to leave anyone behind. This isn't a new hardware generation, after all. Xbox Scorpio is a mid-cycle refresh. Oh! Will games run faster? They will. 
Glad you asked, Johnny. All upcoming Xbox One games will benefit from Scorpio's improved technology. Older games on the newer hardware will get a major performance boost as well. Microsoft told Digital Foundry that this applies to all games across the board. In short, Xbox One games will overall be better on Scorpio. Whoa. Oh, hey, what about the Kinect? Steven, do you remember the Kinect? Yes. Do you have the Xbox One with the Kinect? No. <laughs> it, what, nobody cares about it. It's, they've given up on it. Digital Foundry said there's no Kinect port on the Scorpio. The console is based on the port arrangement on the Xbox One S, which was the first to omit a dedicated input for the peripheral. Microsoft no longer gives out free USB adapters for the Kinect owners, though, suggesting that the Kinect is going the way of the Dodo. <laughs> oh, it's extinct. I get it. Sad. Okay, let's talk about hardware specs. Sad. <laughs> Give me the nitty gritty. Sure, okay. Okay, get ready for some tech jargon, Stephen. Ready? Okay. The console CPU has eight custom x86 cores clocked at 2.3 gigahertz while the gpu features 40 radeon compute units at 1172 megahertz wow that's a lot of megahertz the system also has 12 gigabytes of gddr5 memory and contains one terabyte 2.5 inch hard drive and a 4k uhd blu-ray drive oh man so basically it's a really high-powered xbox one Correct. Speaking of the Xbox One, though, Digital Foundry reports that the Scorpio will include support for Dolby Atmos, and all existing Xbox One consoles will be upgraded with that feature. Whoa! Nice! That's going to be awesome, Steven. So your Xbox One, when they put it out, will get an Xbox One Atmos upgrade? Yeah! And THX quality sound that would make George Lucas cream in his pants. Okay. So how does Xbox Scorpio compare to the PS4 Pro? (laughs) Well, Microsoft would like to tell you that. It It is reiterated... Come on, you can say that word, can't you, Stephen? Just how much better it believes Project Scorpio to be than the PS4 Pro since Sony released its console last fall. Microsoft has consistently referred to PS4 Pro's 4K capabilities and increased core processing power as caveats and obvious downgrades from the Project Scorpio's feature set. This was all talk before, though. Now we have a sense of just what improvement Scorpio has over the PS4 Pro. Check out this chart. Okay, I don't know how this helps people listening, but okay, the CPU on the Project Scorpio, as I said before, has 86 cores clocked at 2.3 gigahertz. PlayStation 4 Pro, 8 Jaguar cores clocked at 2.1 gigahertz. (laughs) By the way, the Xbox One has 8 custom Jaguar cores clocked at 1.75 gigahertz. Hey, that's what I have. Aww. Man, well, I feel left out in the cold, Steven. That's a shame. Okay, the GPU, 40 customized compute units at 100 and 172 megahertz. That's pretty good. The PlayStation 4 Pro has 36 improved GCN compute units at 911 gigahertz. (laughs) Okay, Scorpio has 12 gigabytes of memory. PlayStation 4 has 8 gigabytes of memory. Project Scorpio has 326 gigabytes of memory bandwidth 
<laughs> I'm getting confused. <laughs> PlayStation 4 Pro has only a mere 218 gigabytes of memory bandwidth. By the way, the hard drive on the Project Scorpios is a one terabyte, and so is Project PlayStation 4 Pro. See, I'm getting confused. <laughs> PlayStation 4 Pro is what I'm in. The optical drive is a 4K UHD Blu-ray. PlayStation 4 Pro, Blu-ray drive. <laughs> Cat. So to recap, Scorpio will have a faster CPU, better GPU, more memory, more bandwidth, and 4K-ready optical drive. The one thing that PS4 Pro appears to match on is a hard drive size. <laughs> is there anything that PS4 does have going for it? Okay, let me restart the sentence. Is there anything that PS4 Pro does have going for it over the Xbox Scorpio? Well, we don't know this yet for sure, but... Ask us how much the Scorpio will cost. How much will the Scorpio cost? Microsoft wouldn't say. But stay with us here. Based on everything it learned about Scorpio's guts, Digital Foundry made its best guess at how much the console will cost. $499. Seems like a reasonable price. <gasps> oh my god. No. I was going to say something like a grand or something. Yeah, that, that's a lot of money, Stephen. That's your team! Okay, Mr. T thinks otherwise. Come on, y'all. One one chain would buy a family of four a Scorpio. <laughs> the PS4 Pro currently costs $100 less than that. It's $399. And now that Microsoft has given Sony a big heads up about what the competition will look like, the company can play up the cost differential to its advantage. $499, that sure is pricey. They're speculating. They haven't announced yeah. it. This is pure speculation, to be clear. Oh, hey, they just said it. <laughs> but yeah, expect Xbox Scorpio to cost more than the average console. That makes sense, after all. It's a more powerful than average console. We're not convinced it will be more expensive than the PS4 Pro, necessarily, but we suggest squirreling away money now, just in case. When will we find out about the price or, heck, the real name of the Xbox Scorpio? E3 2017, baby. We'll be keeping your ear to the ground until then. We'll be keeping your ear to the ground until then. Okay. But we're expecting a news blowout during Microsoft's press conference in mid-June. And when is it coming out? We're bidding on a holiday 2017 release. Okay, none of this matters if they don't have some bitchin'-ass Xbox games at E3. Like, oh, I gotta play this in 4K, Steven. Right. Otherwise, what does any of it matter? I mean, yeah, it's a awesome hardware I have an Xbox One, and I'm not complaining about games I play. I think the last game I played on there was, uh, the last new game I played was Quantum Break. And sure, that looked great, and I'm sure it'll look great in 4K, but, um... Is your TV 4K, that, or no? No. Okay. I didn't it's remember, a 1080p. I didn't remember if we, uh, what we were looking at when we bought that. Um, my TV's the old guard. It was way before 4Ks came out, so, yeah. So, uh... It's interesting. I mean, yeah, I like specs. There's Magnetbox and Sony. And that's exciting, but it really means nothing to me at this point. I'm not planning on getting rid of my Xbox One this soon. <laughs> I'd rather have a PlayStation 4 Pro first, I think. Maybe. All right, Steven, that's all of the news this week. How how great was that? It was very good. I feel like, uh, just like, I let the... Let all that bottled up emotion out, and I feel much relaxed. Well, Stephen, what do you say we read Rotten Tomatoes, huh? I would love to hear some. I prepared a new intro for Let's Read Rotten Tomatoes. Let's check it out. You say either. 
I say either, you say neither, and I say neither, either, either, and either, neither, and let's call the whole thing off. Yes, you like potato, and I like potato, you like tomato, I like tomato, potato, potato, tomato, tomato, let's call the whole thing off. I like spelled tomato juice. Oh, dear. That's not good. So, Stephen, let's read Rotten Tomatoes. Tomatoes. Oh, I'm sorry. You say tomato, I say tomato. Right. Okay, well, let's check it out. (laughs) Smurfs, the Lost Village has come out. (laughs) Oh, those little creature blue guys or whatever. Uh, By the way, I did watch the Smurfs when I was a kid on Saturday mornings. I was a little, I was a little old for the Smurfs. I think I, think I was too, but they had Johan and Pee Wee. It's a great show. By the way, why don't they bring Johan and Pee Wee into the movies? I don't know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, currently, Smurfs: The Lost Village is thirty-seven percent rotten. That's right. Sixty-five reviews, twenty-four fresh, forty-one rotten. That's a rotten tomato sound. But Andrew Parker. Of Globe and Mail, he liked it. There are plenty of ambitious set pieces boasting visual ingenuity, and the witty perceptive script includes well-constructed constructed subtext and lessons about breaking free from patriar- patriarchal patriarchal uh, norms and benefits of learning about different cultures. I give it a three out of four. <laughs> that's very nice. Uh, that's, uh, that's great. I, 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 that's awesome. Is that a Tranka? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, Sandy Schaefer of Screen Rant, who looks like a guy named Sandy, the Lost Village is standard, kid-friendly entertainment, but it succeeds at bringing the colorful Smurfs universe playfully animated life to playfully animated life. Okay. Not doing so good here, Stephen. Brian Orndorff, I love this guy's name, of Blu-ray.com says, what drives some possibly most of the positive response to the Smurfs The Lost Village is its non-sequel status, doing away with the flatness of the other features to become a true cartoon. We've been waiting for this all along. I give it a B-. minus. Oh, okay. Well, that's great. But Christy Puchko of CBR, CBR, she doesn't feel the same way, Stephen. How does she feel? Smurfs the Lost Village. Oh, wait. <clears throat> Sorry. Smurfs the Lost Village undercut its central plot by suggesting that Smurfette's identity isn't about her self-discoveries as much as how the male Smurfs' perspective perceive her. Okay. Um... Joey Nolfi of Entertainment Weekly says, It's a candy-coated sugar rush. Though its mind-numbing repetitiveness and haphazardly written screenplay will likely test even the most patient parent. <laughs> Peter Sobzinski, Sobzinski of RogerEbert.com says, The acknowledgement that is, is aiming solely for the kitty audience this time around at least... Wait, can I start that over? <laughs> you can. The acknowledgement... That it is aiming solely for the kitty audience this time around at least makes it slightly more palatable than its predecessors. I give it a two out of four. Okay. Linda Barnyard of Toronto Star. That uh, might not be the way you say her name. Asbury sticks to the basics. Who's that? 
See the director? Kelly Asbury. Okay, got that. With obvious Saturday morning style fare based on groaners and praffles about the earnest little creatures with self-defining names like nosy, grouchy, jokey, and unfunny Smurf. I give it a two out of four. Goodbye. Oh, my God. That's not good, Steven. She is not happy. Well, let's see what IGN says. I go to them for all of our hard-hitting news during the week. The performances by each of the actors are touching and funny in their own right. But the motivations of all the characters apart from Smurfette feel as recycled and cliched as humanly imaginable. Humanly? They're Smurfs. Doesn't he mean Smurfinly imaginable? 4.5 out of 10. Yeah, that's not good, is it? No. That is not, guys. That is not good. <laughs> you know how you read a word while you're talking? and it Yes. Uh, Travis Hobson says, Smurfette's existential journey will probably fly over the heads of the film's target demo of seven-year-old kids, but they'll likely find this totally animated Smurfs movie far more enjoyable than the previous two. It's a masterpiece. Oh, wow. Masterpiece. Rob Thomas... Oh, the singer guy? Mm-hmm. Or the guy who did right. Veronica Mars? Last year's Trolls was a was dissed as cheap Smurfs knockoff. But honestly, the Trolls had richer lives compared to these little blue guys. And the Trolls come in different colors, too. I give it a one out of four. <laughs> Sean P. Mean says, A star-studded voice cast can't do much to improve the sluggish Smurfs. Oh, they're tired. They're just... They're, um... You know, what are you... They're fati- turning into slugs? They're fatigued. I'm trying to watch the Smurfs. Okay. <laughs> the, <laughs> another tale will leave fans of the globally love, globally love forest folk feeling blue. <laughs> oh, did you get it? Oh, man. That's pretty non-funny. Okay. I don't want to get mad again, Stephen, Okay. I don't know if we got any more bombs. <laughs> David Ehrlich says the rare modern kids movie that offers absolutely nothing to anyone over the age of five D minus. Okay, maybe they should have had some kid reviewers in here, huh? That might have been more fair. If I should put it that way, they also have you know uh, viewers review things. Okay. Epic Lady Sponge the Adventurer says. Two stars. Hey, guys, don't be mad over another Smurfs movie. This film brings back wonderful joy of that. Wait, her name is Epic Lady Sponge, the adventurer? Okay, I can't take her seriously with that name. I don't care what she has to say. Okay, Kaylee R. says, As someone who grew up watching the cartoon, I really enjoy this. Very cute and funny. Beautiful colors. It would have been great to have seen it in 3D. Love seeing them introduce more females into a male dog. Oh, spoiler alert, Kaylee! five stars by the way noni says absolutely fabulous colorful animation beautifully done fast-paced funny and charming five stars wow see these are this is a target audience steven right just like me if i were to go see it i'd probably give it a good review don't you think i think you'd probably give it a 4.5 out of 10 (laughs) (laughs) all right let's see what else gifted have you seen this trailer no. Okay, let me read this to you. Frank Adler, played by Chris Evans, is a single man raising a child prodigy. His spirited young niece, Mary, played by McKenna Grace, is a coastal town in a coast. She isn't playing she is a, coastal a coastal town. town. <laughs> yeah, she's wow. playing a town. She she's looks- got rain. 
they live in a coastal town in Florida. Frank's plans for a normal school life for school life for Mary are foiled when the seven-year-old's mathematical abilities come to the attention of Frank's formidable mother, played by Lindsay Duncan, whose plans for her granddaughter threaten to separate separate Frank and Mary. Octavia Spencer plays Roberta, Frank's landlady. For no reason at all. <laughs> His landlady and best friend. Jenny Slade is Mary's teacher. Bonnie, a young woman who's concerned for her student, develops into a connection with her uncle as well. This is directed by Mark Webb, okay? The guy who did the Spider-Man movies. Do you remember him? So let's see what kind of review. It looks like a junior Goodwill Hunting. She's a mathematician, right? Right. 62% fresh. That's not bad. Ellie Walker Arnett of Time Out says, The question at the movie's heart is, what is best for Mary? The answer Gifted chooses is predictable, but that doesn't stop the movie from messing with your tear ducts. Aww. Go downstairs, Mary. Emily Yoshida of New York Magazine says, Unfortunately, Gifted's cutesy classroom scenes are not quite up to the task of digging into how a Mary fits in with her classmates, and the film quickly gives way to increasingly caricatured depictions. Okay. Glenn Kenny of RogerEber.com says, a good, how many critics work for that website? A good-hearted entertainment that manages its plot curveballs and everything else with a show of compassion. I give it a three out of four. <laughs> well, good for you, Glenn. Brad Wheeler of Globe and Mail says, One supposes Nicholas Sparks will eventually get around to making his Kramer versus Kramer or Little Man Tate. But until that happens, we will have to make do with Gifted. <laughs> 1.5 out of 4. That guy's a jerk, isn't he, Steven? Sounds like it. Ah. Genius. All right. May Abadol Baki of the Young Folk says the subtlety and beauty of these fleeting moments are lost amid the heavy plot and by the book and underwhelming way the film goes about everything. I give it a five out of ten. Oh. Hey, Christy Puchko is back, Stephen. Christy Puchko says. This fantastic family drama is so alive with humor, spiked with human hurt, and glowing with charm that it's impossible to fault it for its over for its occasional overzealousness. Oh man, I almost flubbed that one, but I came through, didn't I? Yes. <laughs> Are you sure I did? No. Oh no. Oh no. I try my best. I know you do. Aubrey Page of Collider says, It's not a genius revamp of the formula, nor is it profound enough to become a classic of its small shub genre. Did I say shub genre? Shub genre. <laughs> shub genre. You're making up words over there now. <laughs> but for those drawn in by its blandly charming premise, it's safe to say you'll find quite a bit to like in Gifted. Three out of five. I'm out of here. Okay, they left, Stephen. All right, Travis Hobson of Punch Drunk Critics says, It's the spirited, warm-hearted performance by future star McKenna Grace that will leave viewers with a smile on their faces. 3.5 out of 5. <gasps> and my favorite reviewer, James Barrera Darinelli, says that Movies like Gifted often drift into a quagmire of manipulation and over-the-top histrionics. For the most part, however, Webb avoids that path. Three out of four. Good job, Mark Webb. Okay. Jacob Aller 
says that gifted is saddest when we realize, as it takes grueling and meandering scenic routes through tearjerker cliches, the pregnant potential for this to be a sharp family dramedy. 4.6 out of 10. Where does he come up with that rating? 4.6? Chris Knight says, Gifted means well, but like little Mary, you may end up feeling smarter by half of what you're watching. By half than what you're watching. <laughs> okay, I've had enough. It looks like a good movie. It's a little genius kid. Little smart guy. Girl. Smart guy. <laughs> uh... By the way, I'm aware that my mic's been popping through the whole show. I know. <laughs> Is this unlistenable, this whole podcast? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. No. I'm sorry, everybody. What am I going to do? All right, guys. That's enough Rotten Tomatoes, right? Uh, next week, we have, oh, April 14th. Fate of the Furious in the Hizzy, Steven! I know we're not doing a show next Friday for Fate of the Furious, right? We are going to see that, buddy. <laughs> buddy Roe. You know what I'm saying? Opening. I got the car gassed up. Yeah, we're well, Stephen, speaking of Rotten Tomatoes, though, before we end, uh, there was a story earlier in March, late March, about a certain director, Brett Ratner. No. And he really? said that Rotten Tomatoes is the destruction of our business. This coming from Entertainment Weekly. Director and producing mogul Brett Ratner says film critic aggregation site Rotten Tomatoes is a destructive force in Hollywood. Speaking at the Sun Valley Film Festival last weekend, the Rush Hour director wanted to make it clear he has plenty of respect for traditional film critics. Hold on a second. Maybe I can fix this. Should have tried this earlier. All right. Did I fix this, Steven? Uh, the director wanted to make it nope. clear he has plenty <laughs> of respect for traditional... Wait, hold on. I'm going to fix it. All right. It's fixed now. But he says reducing hundreds of reviews called from print and online sources into popularized aggregate score has become a toxic and often inaccurate label. Did it fix the pop? It's gone. The worst thing that we have in today's movie culture is Rotten Tomatoes, said Ratner, whose company Rat Pack Entertainment. Oh, that's clever. Co-financed Batman v Superman. I think it's the destruction of our business. I have such respect and admiration for film criticism. When I was growing up, film criticism was a real art, and there was intellect that went into that. And you would read Pauline Kael's reviews, or some others, and that doesn't exist anymore. Now it's about a number, a compounded number, of how many positives versus negatives. Now it's about, hey, what's your Rotten Tomatoes score? And that's sad, because the Rotten Tomatoes score was so low on Batman v Superman, I think it put a cloud over a movie that was incredibly successful. Director Zack Snyder, Batman v Superman cost about $250 million to make and grossed nearly $900 million worldwide, despite being considered a disappointment with a 27% score on Rotten Tomatoes. People don't realize what goes into making a movie like that, Ratner continued. It's mind-blowing. It's just insane. It's hurting the business. It's getting people not to see the movie. Well, it didn't work on that. Everybody saw that. It, in middle America, it's, oh, it's low Rotten Tomatoes score, so I'm not going to see it because it must suck. But that number is an aggregate. 
and one that nobody could figure out exactly what it means. And it's not always correct. I've seen some great movies with really abysmal Rotten Tomato scores. What's sad is film criticism has disappeared. It's really sad. That He's not wrong about there being mistakes. I've picked up mistakes as I'm reading it. Right. Where they will give... It's a good grade, but they deem it rotten for some reason. Some other popular titles with low Rotten Tomato scores include Home Alone, Hook, Wet Hot American Summer, and The Mighty Ducks. More recently on the TV side, Netflix's Iron Fist scored only 18% from critics... But its audience score is, if this video plays automatically, I'm going to be pissed. Damn auto videos on friggin' uh, Entertainment Weekly. And it's not as contrary to the director's stance as you might expect. At Rotten Tomatoes, we completely agree that film criticism is valuable and important, and we're making it easier than it has ever been for fans to access potentially hundreds of professional reviews for a given film or TV show in one place, said Jeff Voris. Who's that? The Tomato Meter score, which is the percentage of positive reviews published by professional critics, has become a useful decision-making tool for fans. But we believe it's just a starting point for them to begin discussing, debating, and sharing their own opinions. Now, you know, what, what makes them a professional critic? Did they get a degree in film? That's what I, you know... Film criticism. Well, here's... I kind of read Rotten Tomatoes every week with a grain of salt. I know the critics that I like, and I'll read what they have to say. Everybody else, I don't really care what their opinion is. If a score is really low on something like 14% rotten, something like mm-hmm. that, it's pretty consistent that the movie's not good. If it's up in the 50%, 54 55 rotten, that doesn't mean the movie's bad. That means there's... 50-50 on people liked it, people didn't. It's more kind of like, hey, you might like it if you're into that sort of thing kind right. of thing. But if it's a really low, it's pretty good consensus that this movie's going to suck, right? No, film criticism should be more about the film than about the, uh, how to say it? The score. The score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it is I mean, pretty... You don't really score it's a film criticism right i mean you're not uh, you're you're just telling one way or the other but then to give a a score rating is kind of negating the criticism right i can see that where some people like oh, they just like i like to read at least a like, line like you said days. you saw you read the one where it says it's a good rating you know it gives good stuff about it but it gives it a negative right so how is that possible? People you know? are just people aren't reading. I think his complaint here is that not necessarily that there aren't good movie reviews anymore. It's that nobody's reading them anymore. They're just looking at the score and moving on, which I don't think is necessarily true. Everyone's going to go see a Batman v Superman movie, no matter how poorly it's rated and the, how much money it made prove that. Right. Right. The director also revealed that a Rush Hour 4 could be in the works. I think it will happen. We're talking to writers. We would call it Grumpy Old Rush Hour. The original film was released in 1998, starring Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. Do we not know that, Stephen? Do they really need to Who tell was us? in it? Uh, Chris Tucker and Jack- Jackie Chan. Oh, okay. Do you remember that? Vaguely. Hey! Watch his sweetness! <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. 
I'm going to kick your ass. As for Ratner's other projects, his planned Johnny Depp sexual assault drama, The Libertine, has been put on hold due to issues surrounding the actor's divorce. Do they really need to throw that in there at the end? <laughs> uh, so anyway, Brett Ratner, uh, uh, just one of those things. Am I right? Mm-hmm. You know? So what do you... I can understand where he's coming from, but it's Brett Ratner, so he just sucks anyway. Am I right? <laughs> right. So... Touch me, I yell rat. If, if it had come from a Ridley Scott, a... Who else? Spielberg. Yeah. You could kind of... Uh, please, no more Ridley Scott interviews. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, but he's a a respected filmmaker. Right. So, guys, that is Rotten Tomatoes. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Good night. Here all week, try the VO. I didn't know what and... to say, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys that is our show but it is not over yet that's right we have some voicemail first do you guys remember last week steven and i talked all about beards beard management beard talk all about facial hair well we've got some voicemail here from from the beardiest guy we know yes that would be Adam Howard and another voicemail from Adam Sexton, the two Adams. But first, let's hear our voicemail theme. And now it's time to hear some voicemail. Wow, that was pretty awesome, mm-hmm. wasn't it? All right, guys. Thanks to my dad, by the way, for that music. <laughs> uh, here is Adam Howard with his voicemail. Hey, Nowhere Mulberry. It's Adam from the Bay Area. I really enjoyed last week's show. Thought it was awesome. Love the beard talk, obviously. You guys know I love any time I, I get brought up on the show. <laughs> no, but I know that's really arrogant, and I know that makes me sound like a douche. But honestly, <laughs> when you guys do talk about uh, anytime I'm brought up on the show or someone like Ross is brought up on the show, I do get excited. I can't lie. I just It's just fun. It's good times. But anyways, um, all right. So Steven has got the beard growing out. That's awesome. I think we should start something like a Nowhere and Mulbeardy where everyone grows a beard out for like at least two months with no shaving whatsoever. Oh, wow. Clean up, groom, but don't shave at all. I think that would be fun. Nowhere in Mulbeardy coming at you. We don't need no Movember. That doesn't even sound good. Should have been should have been no beard fur or something like that. But um, I grew out my beard for the first time ever when I was framing the second story of my parents' house. We were building the house. And my dad fell off and broke uh, eight ribs. His scapula collapsed his lung, and it was really scary. But it was the, uh, he, he was fine. He's doing great to this day. But it was the middle of winter. It was like January, I think. Or maybe it was, maybe it was December. But it was really, really cold. And I was like, I need a beard out here. There's like, I'm so cold. So I grew me out a beard. And uh, one night I got out of the shower and looked at myself in the mirror. And I was just so pleased with myself. <laughs> Gosh, more uh, douchey arrogance. No, but honestly, like. Well, um, I've, all, I've been a slim guy most of my life, and um, but I've always had a double chin. And 
no matter what you say, like no matter what anybody says to you, sometimes there's just something about yourself, even though it's, it shows a lack of self-esteem, you still can look at yourself and, and find flaws and imperfections. And I know I've never been an incredibly handsome person or anything like that, or the greatest looking dude. But, um, one thing that would always plague me and bum me out when I looked in the mirror was that no matter how slim I was, I still had this little bubbly double chin underneath, uh, you know, on my neck there. And as soon as I grew the beard out, I couldn't see it anymore. And so it's still there and, and, and whatever, but it's, it's like, it's disappeared. So it's, it's made, it's like, it's, it's healed me, man. It's healed me. (laughs) And it was itchy at first, but what I found works is I would get some Murray's pomade, like the little orange tin for like afros and whatnot. And I would, um, put that on my palm and I would like rub it really, 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 really like hard and get a lot of friction going. And then, uh, I would rub it in my beard and it would kind of make, make it like hold in place. So it didn't wiggle around and move as much. And that really did help. So the stray hairs wouldn't curl up or anything random. And I would just do that. And it really did help it to not itch so much. So that's, that's one thing I recommend for the, um, for the, for the anti-itching. If you're trying to grow it out, hook it up with some pomade or butch wax or whatever, you know, some sort of like hair, uh, clay or palm pomade stuff of some sort. So look into that. And then when you get a little longer (laughs) length, uh, I use yojoba oil or jojoba oil. I don't know how to pronounce it really, but that, um, that helps like helps it to keep soft. You know, I, I shampoo it twice. So I, uh, lather, rinse, repeat, and then I put a conditioner in, in the beard afterwards and then let that sit in for the rest of the time for the rest of my shower. And then towards the very, very end, usually I'll, usually I'll rinse it with, uh, with cold water, uh, because that's supposed to help it's supposed to help the sheen and the, the coat or whatever. But then I'll hook it up with some yojoba oil and then I have a, a little goodie brush, like a very fine, fine bristled goodie brush that I brush the beard with. And usually what I do is I just try to trim the, uh, trim it so it stays off my lips. And then I'll, uh, and then when I brush it, I kind of brush, brush it away from my lips, almost like it's going to curl up or whatever. And, um, but yeah, man, I, I, I started growing it out a little heavier not too long ago. And, uh, I, once it got kind of full, I was, I looked at April, my wife, and I was like, what do you think? Is this, am I doing too much here or what? And, uh, she was like, you know, I kind of like you to look like you don't stand in front of the mirror for an hour every day. <laughs> and I was like, this is perfect. This is absolutely perfect. <laughs> so I can keep this long scruffy beard and my wife doesn't even care about it, you know? And so, um, I did, I have gone to a barber one time about uh, probably three or four weeks ago and he trimmed up the sides and then he made it kind of taper up into like on the sideburns up above my ear and then he shaved shaved me with a straight razor and then he just kind of cleaned it up everywhere and I gotta say man I came out of there smelling like old school barbershop like from when I was little the barbershop I used to go to (laughs) give me flat tops came out of there smelling like that and it just felt so good and my wife liked it and I really liked the way it was cleaned up so uh, it, was, it was a pretty affordable price to get that done too so that is uh, pretty much I think everyone is going to be driven nuts um, <laughs> ab- about uh, about this no. you know and also the thing with the beard um, I know it's a pretty trendy thing right now but I really do enjoy it I like it a lot and hey I'm bald up top I've, I'm going bald uh, on my ha- uh, on my head so you got to compensate in some fashion, guys, and that is the way that I choose to compensate. Now, as far as, um, oh yeah, I wanted to tie the fact that I got the beard trimmed up 
into the how far am I going to take this. I'm not going ZZ Top. I'm not going. Uh, I'm not going to go much further than the length that I have right about now. I like to kind of go in and get it cleaned up. Uh, probably about every two to three weeks after that. So uh, I would like to do it myself, but much like Stephen can attest to, if you just happen to go a little bit too. Too, if you get a little too crazy with those clippers, you're, you're kind of screwed. And that's that's happened to me once before, mm. and I was so bummed out to have to trim it back because I really enjoy the length that I had on it. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so there you go. Not going much further than about now. And uh, <laughs> thank you for the compliments on it. I do, I do enjoy it. I do like it. I like the way it looks. I'm happy that my wife's cool with it. And I'm happy that you guys love it. No, but seriously, it would be really awesome if everybody grew out a beard. That would be fun. Okay, guys. I uh, love you guys. I hope the show is amazing. I can't wait to, to hear it. And yeah, have a good week. Have a good weekend and a good week. All right. See you guys. Bye. All right, Adam. It's so much. It's so great to hear from you. Yeah, about he your- texted me this week. He goes, I got to see the beard. And I was like, oh, I, I had an accident trimming. So uh. I, I, I trimmed it down, you know, to probably, what, two weeks or three weeks. A great big bushy now. beard. So yeah, you had to thin it so out. I'm, I'm, yeah, I had a little accident thinking I could groom it myself. But and, you still got some scruff, though. Yeah, you know, I just st- kinda, I, yeah. So yeah, he goes, so I took a picture. He goes, "Oh, that's not bad. You didn't, you don't do too bad, you know." So, yeah. It, before you know it, it'll be back. He has a mustache and a beard. Yes, that's right. Thank you so much, Adam, for that voicemail and. uh Good luck with the beard. And I do use, I do, when I do my hair, I have the pomade on my hand and I put it in my beard to keep it down. Pomade, really? Well, I use, uh, you know, like you said, it's a clay or whatever. Whatever I use for my hair, I pull down into my beard to to keep it down. So I guess maybe that's why my niche too bad. Dapper Dan or... uh, I'm not a fop fop Dan. No, (laughs) Dapper Dan. Fop. (laughs) Love it. Okay, we have another voicemail. This is another Adam. Not the same Adam, a different Adam. And guys, I want to apologize for my the popping, the static, somehow trapped in her wires here. It's not in every episode. It's just like every once in a while, we get a gremlin in our uh, system or something. Isn't it weird, Stephen? There's a gremlin in there rubbing his feet on carpet, touching things. It's staticky. Oh, man, it makes me... Got to shoot that little guy. <laughs> All right, here is a voicemail from Adam Sexton. Hello, Entertainment Landfill crew. This is Adam Sexton sending you some voicemail. Uh, This will probably be a little bit brief since uh, I haven't watched anything uh, since uh, the last episode was recorded. I think the only productive thing I did was I played a lot of Titanfall 2 multiplayer since new DL, free DLC was added and there was a, you know, you know, double multiplier for the whole weekend, so I got sucked into that nonsense. But hey, Titanfall 2 is a great game, so there you have it. Um, a couple of things I'd like to speak about, especially since uh, Jaystrom was interested in knowing my opinion. The uh, trailer for It, the, the adaptation of the Stephen King book, came out recently, and uh, I I think it's a great trailer. I think it's very effective, and uh, Pennywise, I think, comes off really menacing, as opposed to all the photos and uh 
teaser posters we've seen so far. I'm hoping on the next trailers that we get to know a little bit more about the kids. Uh, I don't think they're as well defined here. I mean, it's just the first trailer. They're just trying to set the mood, uh, set the tone, I guess. But uh, hopefully we get to know these kids a whole lot better. And, uh, I mean, because, I mean, for one thing, blinking you miss it. Yeah, there's a girl amongst the group. I mean, you could barely tell from the trailer. But, uh, yeah, it's very effective. Kind of had a pr- few good jump scares in it. And uh, it's it's a good start. Uh, the second thing that uh, Jason was uh, interested in my opinion on was the Mummy trailer. The recent one. And... I'm a little lukewarm about it. I'm not opposed to seeing it, but if you're starting off a franchise in which you're going to resurrect the classic Universal monsters, you I don't know if it's a good idea to start off your first movie and make it seem like you're marketing another Tom Cruise uh, sci-fi uh, slash horror, another Tom Cruise genre film. They need to be selling the horror aspect. They need to be selling the mummy a whole lot more. If they can do that uh, with their next round of marketing, I mean, maybe I'll be a little bit more warmer to it. But I'm kind of afraid that that's not the movie that they're selling. That may not be the movie we get. If if what we get is uh, another Tom Cruise-fronted genre film... Well, I mean, we've seen that before, and, you know, they're usually pretty good, but I don't know if that's the right starting off point for a franchise, so we'll see, but, uh, but so far, those are my opinions on those things, um, right now, I'm heading on my way home and, uh, making my way through the last round of rush hour traffic, I am, uh, looking forward to hearing the uh the episode on live chat and uh, hopefully other people in the chat room will speak to me <laughs> uh like you know ken preventure was kind of in and out uh so i'm hoping i can get more of a uh, conversation with him this time around but anyway uh guys uh love the episode you posted last week uh i'm looking forward to hearing any new segments uh that Jason may have in plan and uh, really just looking forward to simply relaxing on a Friday night with you guys uh, and uh, other than that I guess I will leave it at that uh, good luck on tonight's show fellas and uh, I will speak to you later or should I say check you later bye alright Adam thank you so much for the voicemail He just, oh, it's so hard to uh, voicemail and drive, Stephen. It is. Well, guys, that was our show. That was ETL News. Thank you so much for listening. If you would, go to etlandfill.com. There you can find all of our previous shows, ones that don't have pops in them. Also, join us on Facebook. You'll find the link there to join our Facebook fan club. And check us out on Twitter. I am the Jstrom. Stephen is PCC. Stephen. Also, check out the link to Show Archive. There you can listen to a lot of our earlier shows and stuff like that. But most of all, guys, check out Patreon. Patreon.com slash landfill if you'd like to support the show for merely a dollar. Something like that. It would be pretty cool. 
to support the show and keep us going. And I would like to right now thank all of our patrons. First, we have Xavier, Ken Proventure, Ross Pony, Ronald Spoth, Adam Sexton, who you just heard from, Swiley, Steve Steinbach, Rick Lidster, John Waltz, Slade Bailey, Brandon, Kelly, B. Sly, Mark Anderson, Darren Finland, Bill Lochner, Mike Metcalf, Carl, Jason Swinchok, Brian, Sean Uioka, Nathena Lewis, Adam Howard, who has a beard. He has a beard, Stephen. You knew that, right? He has a mustache and a beard. That's right. And Hodor! And for our forever patron, Jennifer Morris. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. And if you'd like to support it too, guys, go to patreon.com slash landfill. Thank you guys so much. Steven, thank you for joining me this week. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun, man. Yes. And I guess that's our show. So what are you guys waiting for? Get out there, watch some TV, go see a movie, play some of those uh, video games, you know? Mm-hmm. I heard all about those. Get that Scorpio. Yeah, get that old Xbox Scorpio. And we'll see you next time. Woohoo! Ladies! Popping up! Well, that's our show, Pop. Wow, wasn't it great, Pop? G. I hope that this shit is listenable, Pop. This is podcasting.